The following message from Pastor Kit Johnson comes to you from Life Point Baptist Church in Apple Valley, California, where we pray that God's Word is a real blessing to you. We can turn your Bibles to Romans 1, Romans chapter 1. It's been uh, three weeks now since we were in Romans. Uh, just uh, really enjoyed uh, Steve Pettit's ministry last Sunday. It's really encouraging and real blessing. And then the week before that, I took a break, and uh, we were in 1 John 3. And so we're back in Romans today, and uh, we're going to finish out the chapter by looking at verses 28 through 32. But since it's been a while since we were in uh, in, in Romans, I'd like to begin reading in verse 18 just to set up the context for our text. <clears throat> so Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. For God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks. But they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of of corruptible man, and of birds, and four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. Therefore, God gave them over in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. When I was uh, probably about 15 years of age, uh, I, I grew up on a farm and, and uh, we had a, a calf that was born that spring that was struggling to learn how to nurse. And so I remember one day I got home from school and, and my dad told me to, to make up a bottle and go out to the pasture and, and give this calf a bottle. And, but then before, before he walked away, he said, now Kit, uh, you know, well, we had just bought that cow uh, a few months early. He said, "Now that cow, she's kind of crazy, so bring a baseball bat with you." <laughs> now, you know, I I had grown up on the farm. I was a punk teenager, and I thought that is ridiculous. 
I've lived around, I've been around cattle my whole life. I know how to handle them. She's not going to mess with me. I don't need any sort of baseball bat. So I went in the shop and I made the bottle and I walked out. And as I was walking out, I, was, I saw a grain shovel sitting there. I was you know, I should probably listen to my dad. And so I grabbed the shovel, put it over my shoulder and headed out to the pasture. And, and the calf, he was in this little shed uh, that was about probably 50 to 80 yards from the fence. And so I went out there, found him, got in, you know, crawled in the door and Got the calf up, gave him the bottle, everything was great. But then as I turned around to go out the little door, the head of a 1,300-pound cow was as far through that door as she could possibly go, and she was angry. And of course, I'm trapped. I, I mean, the door is probably yay tall, and so I, I made a whole bunch of noise, screamed and yelled, and I spooked her enough that she backed away so that I could crawl out the door and get on my feet. But as soon as I got on my feet, she charged. She was coming right at me, and so I had that shovel, and I swung it as hard as I could, and she backed away, and then I started slowly walking back towards the, the gate, and, 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 and the whole way, she, she would circ- she'd prance around, she'd circle me, and then she'd charge, and I'd swing the shovel, and I'd scream and yell and holler and look as big and scary as I possibly could, but inside, I was really nervous because I had nowhere to go. There's no trees to hide. There's no shelter I can find. And I remember being so grateful that I listened to my dad and grabbed a weapon so that I could take care of myself with this cow. And, and it was a minor miracle that I did that because you know, I thought I knew better. Now, now, that was absurd because my dad had been working around this cow a lot for the last few days, and he knew her and he knew cattle a whole lot better than I did. But, but, you know, human pride doesn't have to make sense, right? I mean, we, we think that we know. We, we want to believe that we know best and that we've got everything figured out, even when it's absolutely ridiculous. And, and that arrogance is oftentimes very costly. But we're stubborn. And so we just persist in our absurdity and we repeatedly fall on our faces time after time. And this is our third week in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. And, and so we've seen that, that our ultimate expression of arrogance and absurdity is, is when we express that arrogance and absurdity towards God. That, that the verses 19 through 23, uh, we saw say that God has clearly revealed himself to all people through creation. Now, everyone can look out at the glory of all the things that God has made, and we all know in our hearts that God is real, that He is the creator of of us and of everything that exists, that He is powerful, that He is deserving of our worship and our obedience. And we also can see that He is good, that His will is good. And yet, we've seen in this chapter that people refuse to worship God. Because they want to be their own gods. And so they would rather create a God that fits their liking and their agenda than they would worship the the true and living God. And it is absolutely evil. You know, the fundamental sin of this chapter, this is very important, the fundamental sin of this chapter is not all the, the sins that come up in the lists, but the fundamental sin is that people refuse to worship and serve and honor their creator God. And not only is it evil, it is terribly tragic because life without God is a life of delusion and deceit. 
And, and, and the, path, the best path of life is always a path that is anchored under the umbrella of the knowledge of God and in obedience to His will. But since people stubbornly refuse to worship and serve their Creator, verses 24 through 32 say that God judges them by handing them over to the natural consequences of their sin. So we talked last time about the fact that, that, that God doesn't have to like you know, rain down thunder and lightning and earthquakes. That what this passage says is one of the primary ways that God judges people for their rebellion is that he just removes his hands. He removes his restraint and he allows them to endure the natural consequences of going their own way and rejecting his will as laid out in Scripture. And, and so we've seen that that, that that might be fun for a time, right? Like it sounds cool to just do what I want to do and live the way I want to live. But, but sin never leads us as people and it never leads a civilization into a better place. It always has devastating effects on multiple levels. And, and so the last time we were in Romans 1, we, we looked at verses 24 through 27 and we saw That one way God does this is he allows people to rebel against his good design for sexuality and for family. God made us, male and female, to be joined together in marriage and and to have a family from that. That's his most basic creation, the most basic building block of civilization. But but in Paul's day, many people rejected that. And of course, in our day, many people uh, go after the sins that are specifically described in verses 26 and 27. And we talked about the fact that not only is it evil, but it is having devastating effects on our culture and our children. Because again, sin never leads us to a better place. It always, always has devastating effects. And yet, ever since the Garden of Eden, Satan has been convincing people that they have a better will than God and that they can make a better plan than God has and that God's will is oppressive and binding and it's all a bunch of nonsense. And our text for today, verses 28 through 32, follow by broadening the scope from just uh, the sins of homosexuality that are listed uh, to to more other types of sins. And, And once again, they drive home the fact that that doing it my way might sound really good, but I can never improve on God's will. And so pride and rebellion always end in destruction. So let's begin in verse 28, which describes the cause of man's destruction. The cause of man's destruction. So so verse 28 says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind, to do those things which are not proper. Now, when we read through verses 28 through 32, the thing that grabs our attention and is all the juicy sins that come up in this passage. But, but notice that verse 28 once again emphasizes that the root cause of everything else that's going on in this passage is that sinners do not see fit to acknowledge God. So so the little idea there is that they refuse to have God in their knowledge. People do not want to be governed by the knowledge of the true God. And and so again, verses 19 through 23 say that God has clearly revealed himself in creation. You know, we just were driving home from Mammoth yesterday, and you look up at some of those those skylines, and you look at the, the mountains, and everything that God has made, it is evident 
that God is real, he's our creator, he is good in in the things that he has made, and, and life only makes sense when it is governed by the knowledge of God and in submission to his will. But verse 28 says that sinners don't want that knowledge to govern their lives. So they create their own truth and their own morality. So so I want to emphasize again, all right, that the fundamental plea of this text, the fundamental issue of this text, is that I must honor and submit to my creator. And, um, and, 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 And so everything else flows from that issue. So so you might read through this passage and think, whew, Paul did not mention my sin issue, so I'm off the hook today. Or or you might think, "Ah, well, I know, you know, Joe over here, he does that one, and Billy does that one, and Beth does that one. But but the fundamental issue of this text that, that everything else stems from is that I am called to honor, believe, and obey my Lord in heaven. And so just because your pet issue is not in the list does not mean you're off the hook. And the fundamental plea of this text is that we would pursue the knowledge of God above everything else so that we honor Him as God and submit every thought, passion, and choice to His will. Now, Proverbs 1, 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So the only way I I can build a a, a good, a pure knowledge that that governs life rightly is to put all of life under the frame of of the knowledge of God, the fear of the Lord. And Proverbs 9.10 adds that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The only way I can look at the world rightly and, and make good choices is to be governed by the fear of the Lord. So know and honor the Lord. But sinners reject that knowledge. And so verse 28 goes on to describe God's just response. It says, because of their rejection, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Now, as I said last time, you know, many people uh, compare the sins of verses 24 through 31 uh, to the evils of our day. So, so we look at this list, we look at the homosexuality, we look at all the things in verses 29 through 31, and and we start comparing these sins to what we see in our culture. And, and what oftentimes we then do is think, well, we are doing all these things, so God's judgment must surely be coming. But as I said last time, and I want to emphasize it again, that, that what Paul is saying here is not that these sins lead to the judgment of God. No, he is saying that these sins are the judgment of God for the more fundamental sin of, of refusing to worship the Lord. So, so again, the, 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 the logical progression is that people refuse to worship God. And because they refuse to worship God, God removes His grace that restrains sinners from being as bad as they naturally would be. And do you realize that if God just completely removed His hand from humanity, it would be far worse than it actually is? Because the depravity of our hearts is that bad? So, so when God removes his restraining hand and just lets sinners go their own way, they spiral further and further away from him. And then they just reap the natural consequences of their own evil. And, and so specifically, Paul says here in verse 28 that, that he releases them to a depraved mind to do those things that are not proper. Now, the Greek word for depraved here also means worthless. And and it's not super clear in our English translations, but, but the word that's translated worthless is also the root for the main verb at the beginning of the verse. 
So, so the idea literally is, is that because sinners view the knowledge of God as worthless, God hands them over to worthless thinking. And so without God, we lose our ability to make clear judgments. And what Paul is saying is our moral sensibilities become worthless. And the result is, is that we do those things that are not proper, which he then develops in verses 29 through 31. And it's not a pretty picture. Instead, it is destructive. And it all stems, again, from rejecting the knowledge of God as the anchor of my thoughts. So so the main application, again, is to treasure the knowledge of God and to submit all of life to him. And that's because, verses 29 through 31 warn, that the consequences of rebellion are absolutely devastating. And of course, verses 29 through 31 go on to list a number of sins. And so this is what scholars oftentimes call a vice list. And, uh, and, and these lists, uh, a list like this, is not intended to be exhaustive. The point here is not to list every sin imaginable. No, no, these sins are listed here to be illustrative of the types of sins that flow from a lack of restraint. So, so the point is not that everyone commits all of these sins, or there aren't that other, other things that could be added to the list. No, he's just saying this is where a culture goes that is depraved and void of the knowledge of the Lord. And the grammar divides the list into three sections. So verse 29 begins with a group of four general sins. He says they're filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil. And then uh, comes another grouping of five sins uh, concerning envy and its consequences. So he mentions they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. And then the, the list ends with 12 descriptions of rebels against God. And uh, for our purposes this morning, I'd like to to deal with this list uh, in three more thematic categories. So so first of all, one of the categories that stands out in this list is pride and rebellion. When people reject God, he hands them over to pride and rebellion. Now, the most obvious example of pride and rebellion in this list is there in verse 30, where it mentions that people are haters of God. Haters of God. So, so what Paul is there just reminding us is that people in general are not searching after God. There, there are not just scads of people all over the globe who are out there trying to find the Lord and they just can't find him. No. In general, people are not searching for God. They instead despise God's authority and holiness because they want to be their own gods. And so they are haters of God. And then notice the next three terms in verse 30. He says they are insolent, arrogant, and boastful. Now, now the word for insolent there combines the idea of pride with cruelty and, uh, and, and with violence. And don't we see that around us all the time? You ever known an insolent person? You know, they, they want you to know how much they know. And they want you to know how smart they are, and they want you to see how much they've accomplished and how powerful and strong they are. But, but you know, pride, that type of pride and boasting, it never leads to genuine compassion and care for other people. You know, people that love to boast and, and beat their chests are not people that are caring and, and merciful. No, instead, they, 
pride produces abuse and evil. And we'll say more about that later. And then another example of pride and rebellion that stands out is the last vice in verse 30. Of course, this is one that should jump out to all the kids in the room, and that is that he lists here, of all things, disobedience to parents. That's a fascinating one, isn't it? That that, that one makes it into the list. And you might wonder why, and, 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 I, and I'd answer that, I mean, first of all, that, that sounds like our culture, right? I mean, our culture has turned itself on its head. You know, where, where traditionally uh, people have believed that, that parents and and authorities like that are a grace of God, we have turned ourselves in our heads so that our culture believes that youth, not age and experience, is where it's at. You know, because youth is, is cool, youth is fun, and, and we even have come to believe in, in 21st century America that, that, that young people are the ones that, that haven't been, you know, uh, plagued and, and polluted in their thinking, and the young people are the ones that really know how the world should work. They really understand what is wisdom and morality and ethics. And so our culture glories in young people rebelling against the old-fashioned thought and beliefs of parents and grandparents and other generations before us. And so it's just accepted that, that young people are going to rebel. It's funny that they rebel. It's a good thing that they rebel. And, and you could think of probably you know five or six Disney movies right off the bat that glory in that very thing that the young people are really the ones that know what's going on. But the Bible teaches that elderly wisdom and authority are blessings, not oppressive curses. And and the Bible teaches that society thrives when we honor parents as the first layer of age and authority and all the other layers beyond it. And that's because wisdom does not come from youth. Wisdom comes from experience and, and hardship. And and that those authorities are a blessing because they restrain the foolishness of youth. So the biblical family, folks, the biblical family is one of God's greatest blessings to human society. And, And we need, we need the stability, the love, and the restraint that family brings. You know, I mean, so many, you know, in our culture today, it's like, you know, don't get married and don't have kids because you want to have fun. And so the reality is, is that those responsibilities are a grace of God. I mean, I don't have time for much sin. And also do the things that God has called me to do. Like, I've got to provide. And when I go home, I need to take care of my family. So so there's no time in my life for me just to go be a moron. I mean, I I could create it. But, But those things are good. They are blessings of God. And our society is living proof of the consequences of rejecting that design. So our culture clearly reflects the pride and rebellion that Paul describes. You know, we're told all the time, stop listening to all those old authorities, break free from tradition and responsibility and duty, be your own person, go after, chase whatever it is that you want. But it's not helping our society get to a better place. It is tearing it apart. And instead, it's causing the second broad category, which is moral upheaval. Moral upheaval. Notice that the broad terms for human depravity in verse 29. He mentions there that they are filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, and evil. 
Now, now, the point here is not that we should try and find some unique, distinct meaning for all these various terms. No, rather, Paul just piles up these terms to emphasize that when God removes his restraint, people chase every form of evil. And in fact, verse 30 says, they even become inventors of evil. So, so people aren't content to just do the evil that they know. I mean, the idea here is, is, all, is probably in context that they invent ways to be cruel and to be hurtful to other people. And as well, verse 31 says, they are without understanding. And of course, a small child is innocently without understanding, but the point here is that sinners willfully reject the knowledge of God that is available to them. And, and all these descriptions imply that sinners do not naturally gravitate towards goodness. They instead gravitate towards darkness and wickedness. And if you are saved, you should give thanks today for the gospel because God sought you when you were not seeking him. He loved you when you did not love him. And you are what you are, and you are not this, solely by the grace of God. And if you're not saved, you might sit there and think, well, well I'm not that bad. Like, I'm not, as, I'm, I'm not all that stuff. And the reality is, is you may, very well may not be that bad. But the Bible teaches that's only because God is holding your sin nature back. You are a wicked sinner. And I know that's not pleasant to hear. But, but the reality is, is you will never come to fully appreciate the mercy of God and the salvation that, that Paul will describe later in the book of Romans, unless you first come to the end of yourself. Paul starts with the bad news. He empties us of all human glory, only so that we can fully rest in the mercy of God that's coming later. So, so I hope that we'll, we'll, we'll humble ourselves today as we see the depravity of our hearts. And then the third category of sins that he mentions, uh, I, I'm going to call social disaster. Social disaster. And really, this is the focus of the list. That when people reject God and disobey His will, it doesn't just affect them. It, it, it tears families and, and neighborhoods and civilizations to pieces. And, and notice, uh, first of all, the second list of sins in verse 29. He says that God gives them over to be full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. Now, envy is the root of all sorts of sins. And really, it flows, it stems from a failure to acknowledge God. Because if I recognize that I, my life is under the hand of a good and kind creator, and I worship him, I give thanks for his blessings, I am content in him, there's no room left for envy. But you remove God, and all of a sudden, envy dominates so many people. And envy frequently leads to strife, deceit, malice, and sometimes it even leads to murder. And we don't have to go far, uh, again, to see how ruthless sinners can be. You know, in the name of, and because of the envy in their hearts, they lie, they cheat, they steal, they bicker with each other about the silliest little things, and sometimes they're just plain nasty. And what does it do? It destroys marriages and families. It makes workplaces uh, just hard to, I mean, just toxic, horrible places. 
And these things ruin communities. And the spiral only gets worse as people grow further and further from a biblical ethic. And then uh, Paul concludes the list with with these 12 types of rebels against God. And and notice that a number of them are, are again, involved with relationships and and community. So Paul begins that, that final list of 12 by saying they are gossips and slanderers. You know, now, now, this one is interesting to me because you know, I've lived most of my life in, in Christian community. My, my primary context has been with God's people. And, 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 and by the grace of God, you know, hopefully the church is not a place that is characterized by slander and gossip. But many of you, you go out and you have extended family or you go into the workplace and gossip and slander are everywhere around you. And, and, and people who, who do not know the Lord or people who, who are spiritually immature are consumed with them. And, and they're petty. They're childish. You know, they're, they're talking, you know, they're, they're just, it's just dumb. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And it's destructive. And if you know the joy of being in a place that values truth and edification and care, it is absolutely nauseating. We've already discussed the remaining terms in verse 30, but notice uh, as well just how socially destructive all these things are. Because pride never brings people together. It it never does. It only divides. As I as well mentioned, that the, the phrase inventors of evil probably means inventors of creative ways to do harm. And so people take pleasure in being cruel. And, and violent and conniving. And, and sadly, it's all too common. And, and again, disobedient to parents is both a symptom of pride and rebellion, but as well a cause of major social destruction. You know, folks, the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother is, is a vital grace of God that, that stabilizes societies and, and cultures and, and it cultivates wisdom and discipline. I, you know, I mean, Paul talks about the fact that it is the first commandment with promise because the command to honor father and mother is such a foundation of, of stabilizing culture and, and, and producing another generation that can continue it. But in contrast, few things destroy culture faster than parents who neglect their children and neglect demanding of them that discipline and that desire to will, learn and, and grow. And as well, children who who rebel against their parents. And finally, verse 31 includes four nouns that are clearly parallel in the Greek. It's not so much clear in the English, but but they all begin with the negative a prefix in the Greek. And so so one commentator, uh, these terms, he says, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. And I liked how one commentator put it. He said these these terms describe humanity in almost subhuman, animal-like characteristics. So like animals, Paul says that depravity robs people of understanding. They become fools because they're not living life under the umbrella of the knowledge of God. You know, and as well, uh, he says that they are untrustworthy. Untrustworthy. And, and that's an interesting one because you know, we live in a me-first world. You know, we're told all the time that, that take care of yourself, express yourself, be you. 
And does that lead to trustworthiness and faithfulness? It's not, it's not just that we as a society undervalue faithfulness and loyalty. You know, we actually increasingly believe as a culture that faithfulness and loyalty are the enemy of you expressing yourself and being all that you should be. You know, don't, don't lay down any roots. Don't tie yourself to anything. Just go live your life. Have your best life now. And so is it any wonder that so many people are untrustworthy or disloyal? And the consequences for families, for workplaces, for neighborhoods are absolutely devastating. Because a society can't function without some level, and no relationship can function without some level of trust rooted in loyalty. But when you lose that, and people have no ability to trust each other, I mean, look at, I mean you look at the politics of our day, I mean, we are absolutely, uh, and, and, and there's a reason we don't trust each other, because we're not trustworthy people. And then finally, apart from God's restraining grace, people grow unloving and unmerciful. Now, our culture loves to talk about love and loves to talk about mercy. You know, so we want our government to be merciful and compassionate. You know, people want the justice system to be compassionate and kind. And yet, while they talk all the time about wanting all this compassion and mercy in our world, when it comes to the people in their actual lives, they are not merciful and loving and kind. No, they are angry. They are bitter. They are nasty. You know, so it's really easy to talk about the government and people out there and people in, you know, some poor third world place receiving compassion and care. And that means nothing when we don't do it in our actual life. And then as well, so, so, so verses 29 through 31 paint a very dark picture of sinner's void of God's restraining grace. And I hope that it causes you to just look at all of it and to despise worldliness and any expression of these things in your life. You, know, you look at these things and Sometimes we let a sin grow in our hearts and we justify it. We tell ourselves it's okay. We tell ourselves like, well, I, you know, you, you know, you'd lose your temper too and you'd be a grouch if you had these things going on in your life and so we justify our sin, whatever it might be. But, but folks, we look at this list and this list here is intended to show us that the wickedness of our heart and the darkness of our heart it ought to cause us to hate these sins and any expression of them in our heart. And it also should inspire us to honor the Lord, to know Him, and to submit to His will because no matter what the world might claim, God's way is clearly better than, than the way of rebellion and pride and where it leads. It's obvious. So, so we've seen the cause of man's destruction is that he rejects the Lord. We've also seen that the consequences of man's rebellion are these socially destructive sins of verses 29 through 31. And then finally, notice in verse 32, the obstinance of sinners. The obstinance of sinners. And verse 32 says, And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval to those who practice them. So, so notice, first of all, in this verse, that rebels know the truth. 
right? I mean, Paul says, they know the ordinance of God. And not just that, he says, they know that those who practice such things are worthy of death. So folks, it's not like people don't know that these things are a problem. No, no, Paul's going to say in chapter 2 that God has given everyone a conscience. We, we all have a sense of right and wrong. We all know that there's a difference between darkness and light. And, and verses 26 and 27 also add that, that to a limited extent, there is uh, that nature teaches us the difference between certain sins and, and certain things that are pure and right. And, and I should add that in our society, at least, and in many others, People have had at least some exposure to Christianity. They they know at least some of what this Bible teaches, and they know what God says is right and what is wrong. And and I don't think it would, you know, I always get uncomfortable when we talk about America as a Christian nation. I don't think we've ever been a Christian nation in the sense that the majority of people were born again. But there was a time when most of the, the vast majority of people in our culture knew the biblical ethic, they knew the Ten Commandments, they knew other demands of Scripture, and at least on the outside, they tried to conform to what the Bible said about morals and ethics. I mean, the, a, a biblical ethic shaped the way we, we thought and, and functioned as a culture. And of course, there were exceptions, there will always be exceptions, because, because sinners are evil. But I think you can look back and, generally speaking, say that that understanding of of what the Bible taught and that attempt to at least outwardly conform to it, that that God, by that, restrained a lot of evil and darkness and helped to produce healthy families, mutual care, strong industry, and, and all sorts of other things. But increasingly, our country is moving into the second half of verse 32, which says that rebels glory in rebellion. Now, again, they know the truth, but verse 18 says they suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so verse 32 says that sinners often reach a point where they willfully commit the sins that they know are deserving of God's eternal judgment. You know, it really is, I mean, this is a scary verse. It's a scary verse. Because Paul says that sinners know that they are rebelling against God, and they know that God is wrathful towards their sin, and yet they willfully defy the judgment of God and rebel against it. But it gets even worse. He says at the end of the verse that they also give hearty approval to those who practice them meaning the same sins. You know, so I want to be clear, there's a massive difference between someone who has a sin struggle in their life and and they hate that sin. They wish it was gone. They despise it. And someone over here who loves their sin and glories in their sin. And then you're at a whole other level when you've got someone who doesn't just glory in their sin, but, but they're trying to pull other people down in the rut too and celebrating rebellion against God. And once again, isn't this a stunningly accurate picture of the progression in our culture? People have always been sinners. 
People have always done horrible things. You know, but, but there was a time in our culture where, where you know, people were ashamed. They were embarrassed of, of much of the evil that they committed. And so even if they were doing it, they tried to do it in the dark. But, but we've reached a day where not only are people committing horrible sins, they are openly celebrating those sins. And they are demanding that you join them in the celebration. And so I want to urge you, be careful not to let the constant gnawing of our culture dull your senses to just how evil something like Pride Month really is. It is evil to celebrate, to give hearty approval, to open rebellion against God. And folks, we're living in verse 32. And it is the bottom of the spiral in this text. So, so, so yes, it's true that there are, we are surrounded by people who, who get caught up in the foolishness of our culture. And, and, we, and we have to love sinners. We, we must love them. We must compel them to come to Christ. So, so the point here is not that we become angry at the world and, you know, or that we retreat and hide in a corner. But, but folks, at the same time, I mean, it just needs to be said that celebrating rebellion against God is a dangerous, dark place to be. And so do not let your senses become calloused to just how evil it is where, where so much of our culture is headed. So, so that said, I'd like to close with three applications. And the first is keep a biblical perspective on the world. Keep a biblical perspective on the world. You know, again, Satan's oldest lie is that God's will is oppressive and that you can do better if you just go your own way, do your own thing. I mean, that's how he fooled Adam and Eve, and that's how he has destroyed, you know, billions of lives probably in the millennia since. But, but this passage masterfully demonstrates where rebellion leads. Rebellion does not lead to peace and human flourishing. Rebellion tears society to pieces and destroys lives. So don't buy the lie. No, see the world and, and see the lies of the world for what they really are. You know, and I'd also like to add you know, here that, that something of a side note, you know, that one of the basic tests of a worldview is whether or not it matches reality and whether or not you can consistently live it. And doesn't this passage... Um, perfectly. I mean, Paul understood our world. Paul understood people because he wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit who knows the heart of man like no one else does. And so you look at this passage and you look at the perception of Paul at our world. I mean, it is a powerful demonstration that that, that we live, that we are depraved, and that God understands humanity in a way that people don't want to understand themselves. So if there's anyone here today that you're skeptical of, of Scripture, you're skeptical of the truth of God's Word, now ask yourself, does Disney's worldview explain the world? And can you consistently live it? Or does God understand the world? And can, can you consistently live what He says? And the answer is obvious. You know, all the, you know, let it go, do your own thing, have a good time, peace, love, happiness will all follow. It doesn't work. 
It's nonsense. You know, we are not good at heart. We are sinners, and you cannot understand the world without a, a robust doctrine of depravity. So keep a biblical perspective on the world. Secondly, worship and serve the Lord. And this really is the most important takeaway from this chapter. We were made for God, and we will only find rest and blessing under His Lordship. And of course, that begins with receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. And I want to emphasize that you can't earn a relationship with Him. You can't just say, well, boy, I don't want all this nonsense to happen in my life, so I'm going to turn over a new leaf and I'm going to start living a more spiritual life. No, you need forgiveness. And you need the new life that Christ alone provided when he died on the cross and when he rose again. So, so maybe you're recognizing for the very first time just how sinful your heart really is. And also how worthless your sin is. And I hope you'll see that there is abundant mercy in Jesus. That he took our sin out of the way on the cross. And you can be born again if you just confess your sins. Believe on Christ, rest in his finished work. And so if you've never done that before, I hope that you'll find me or someone else here in the church that you trust afterwards and learn how you can be saved and how you can come under the safety and the umbrella of the Lordship of Christ. And if you are saved, I want to challenge you to pour all your energy into living under Christ's Lordship. You know, God made you, and God understands you. And he knows what's best for every detail of your life. You were made to worship the Lord. So get to know him. Spend time with him. Give thanks for his blessings and pursue his will, believing that that all of his will is good and wise. You know, again, you are never better off by by picking and choosing what parts of God's will you're going to follow. Just submit to him. Trust him. So so submit to the Lord. And then finally, call sinners to know and honor the Lord. You know, I've been especially critical today of our culture. You know, but but I want to emphasize that the right response is not to get angry or to start yelling at the world or even to retreat from the world. And I'd add this too, or or to just merely attack the, the, the outward fruits of rebellion. You know, so all this stuff is going on in our culture, so we got to stop this, and we got to stop that, and we got to stop this over here. You know, no, we, we must have compassion for blind and hurting sinners. And, and you know, as I, as I thought about all this this week, you know, the reality is, is that we are surrounded by scores of people who are being crushed under the flood of this rebellion. You know, that their parents... We're following the lies of the world and they never loved them or cared for them or gave them the, the discipline that they needed. You know, and the waves of destruction to people's lives, the hurt, the depression, the sorrow, the, the pain in our culture that all of this is causing is, is incredible. And, and so we need to go to people and point them to the hope of the gospel. You know, they know they've got problems, they're hurting, and they, they, they need the Lord. And so we need to point people to the hope of the gospel, tell them who God is, and, and urge them to find their rest in Him. Folks, we have the only solution to the mess, and it's in Christ.
So, so we need to love sinners, and we need to be bold in going out to sinners, and, and we need to point them to the hope of Jesus, because Jesus alone is the solution to all of this. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this passage, and thank you for the truth that it teaches. And God, we especially thank you for the Lordship of Christ. It is a grace, it is a mercy And for those of us who are saved, we are so grateful that you have rescued us from the world. We thank you for your work of grace in our lives. And Father, I pray uh, that, that Lord, we would would stay faithful to you. We would trust you all along the way. I pray for any here who do not yet know Jesus as Savior. Oh Lord, please open their eyes to the rebellion of their own hearts. And, and cause them to repent and be born again. And help us, Lord, to go out this week and, and share the good news of Christ and, and compel sinners to be saved. In Jesus' name, 